0: These are the daily lectionary comments for January the 10th. We're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 18 uh, that develops a parable about the fathers eating sour grapes and the children's teeth being set on edge. And we're going to look at uh, Romans chapter 2 beginning at verse 17 where uh, Paul begins his evaluation of, of Jews themselves and and um, you know whether they have an advantage uh, over Gentiles and in what sense. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 18 Um, begins with the Lord saying, what do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. Now, the basic meaning of the parable is this, that um, for some reason or another, the children are suffering because of what the parents did. And the Lord is asking Ezekiel what exactly the people mean by repeating this parable. The idea seems to be this, that there were many in Israel who were blaming their present circumstances. The fact that they were, for example, in exile, or the fact that the, the nation itself uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, the, and the, the temple being destroyed and all of that, um, that is, that is somehow or another because of previous generations, that this generation didn't do that, and now all the chickens are coming home to roost from previous generations. But the Lord will not have that. Uh, he he doesn't deny that the, the the previous generations may very well have created a lot of these problems, but he is not going to let the present generation off the hook. And um, so this this uh, expression that he uses over and over again, this expression, something like it, the soul that sins. Uh, who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteousness shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So, what the Lord is essentially saying, he's not denying that previous generations sinned. He's not denying that the sin of previous generations has, in in some sense, come to roost on this generation. What he is denying is that this generation is innocent. This generation is not innocent. And therefore, they are not only suffering for themselves, but yes, they may also be suffering for things that their fathers did too. As uh, the scripture says in, uh, in the Ten Commandments itself, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the father to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. He doesn't arbitrarily take... Uh, and punish somebody for something that somebody else did because they happen to be related. However, it is often the case that sin and its consequences travels in families. It also travels in communities, and it travels nationally. This nation has been vacillating between whether it wants to serve God or not. Now, there's a great deal of discussion here um, regarding a righteous person who begins transgressing or a wicked person who turns... And stops their sinning, Um, and it's it's important that we understand what this passage is not saying. This passage isn't saying that if you're a good person and you're doing good deeds, and then you screw up, uh, that your screw up wipes out all the good deeds. Nor is it saying that if you're a wicked person who does wicked deeds, but then you decide one day that maybe you've you've gotten a little too bad, so you start shaping up your ways, and God's just going to ignore what you've already done. This isn't really a discussion about those who vacillate back and forth between whether they're going to do more good deeds, more bad deeds, more selfish deeds, more selfless deeds. This is about a person who is vacillating back and forth as to whether they love God or not love God. When you return or when you repent, you are not just not sinning anymore. What happens is you turn to God and because you turn to God, therefore you stop sinning. It's not that a wicked person just decides that they're going to try to be good from now on and ignoring God but thinking that they're good now will be okay. A wicked person who sins less than they used to or even for a while stops sinning at all if that were possible but who doesn't turn to God is in no better shape. The world may be in better shape because they're not sinning as much but they are still in a bad way with God. Likewise, a righteous person who loves the Lord but does sin has not thereby just forsaken the Lord, but a person who forsakes the Lord and therefore turns to a life of iniquity and transgression, that person will not be saved because they previously had been a child of God. So in other words, once saved not always saved. If you are in Christ, then you and you remain in Christ, you will not perish. But if you turn away from Christ, then your previous Um, status of being saved will not help you by the same token if you are a worshiper of satan himself but then repent of that and turn to christ the fact that you previously had been an awful person will not be held against you so the idea here isn't that god is measuring your deeds and whatever your last deeds were that's how you're going to be judged it's who your god is And if your God is the Lord, then your bad deeds that you had done previously or even that you do now if you continue to cling to him are not going to cost you your salvation. Salvation really isn't a matter of adding up good and bad deeds and seeing what the balance is. Salvation really has to do with where your heart is. And that's what Ezekiel is talking about. And that's why Ezekiel is saying this generation uh, is going to be punished. I'm going to judge you the Lord says to Ezekiel, because your heart has not been steadfast to me at all. I take no pleasure in this, he says, verse 32. That also is something that we're going to return to in tomorrow's uh, in tomorrow's comments. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I want you all to turn to me. However, if you will not, then I will punish you and you will bear your iniquity. So, Uh, This is the very famous Ezekiel chapter 18, which, uh, again, I don't want you to think that the way way it reads on a cursory reading, you might think that uh, whatever your last deed really determines where you are. Um, It's not that. It's where your heart is. This is the difference between repenting and turning to God or apostasy and turning away from God. It's not the difference as to whether you did more good deeds today than bad or your last deeds were good or not. It's repentance and returning to God which is a daily and constant thing, or apostasy and turning away from God, which is a daily and constant thing. All right, in Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 17, St. Paul is now going to ask the questions. Uh, he, he's, uh, he's going to say, well, if, if you, uh, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God. So in other words, you have the law of Moses. You have the Torah, you rely on God. You approve what is excellent because God has told you what is excellent. We can almost put that in quotation marks. You're instructed from the law. You are a guide to the blind. So the Jews oftentimes consider themselves a guide to the blind. They had the law of God and the pagans did not. You're an instructor of the foolish. Having the law, uh, in the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Now that's a true statement. The law of Moses, the Torah, is, in fact, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. It tells us much about the realities of God and us and sin and his people and his plan of salvation. The entire scripture is built upon it. So if you're a Jew, you have all these things. The question he asked, though, in verse 21 is, you then who teach others from the law of Moses... Do you not teach yourself while you preach against stealing? Do you steal? And so on. So now what Paul is going to draw a distinction between where you get your truth from and whether you actually follow that truth or not. He uses uh, the the idea of circumcision, which was one of the uh, commandments that was contained in the law of Moses. But circumcision is an outward act. The question is, circumcision is supposed to match an inward disposition. A person who is circumcised presumably lives according to the law of Moses and walks according to the law of Moses. He loves the Lord his God with all his heart and mind and strength. He loves his neighbor as himself. But what if you have a person who is circumcised all right? but does not love the Lord his God with all his heart and mind and strength, does not love his neighbor as himself, and does not particularly embrace the word of God as delivered in Moses, then will circumcision help you? It helped you in that you knew that circumcision was important to God. It does not help you, however, in the end, if you are circumcised, but do not embrace what circumcision is all about. That is, that your entire heart should be devoted to God. Likewise, he says, And he's just carrying the same idea forward a little bit further, and that is, okay, supposing we have somebody who, by ignorance, didn't realize, uh, because they're a pagan, and so they they are not circumcised. However, they do have within their heart a sense that they should love God, even if they don't know him very well, and that they should love their neighbor, um, even if they're not instructed from Moses, but if by nature they are doing the sorts of things that a person who is circumcised ought to have wanted to do, are they not far more pleasing in God's eyes, just in terms of their behavior, than the circumcised person? Now understand what's going on here. Paul is not talking about which one is actually saved or which one not. What he's talking about is, shall we evaluate their behavior and shall we evaluate these individuals according to what they actually do? And if we're going to evaluate people according to what we actually do, then we cannot just consider outwardly whether a person is circumcised or whether a person has the Torah, whether a person is a Jew, or whether a person is a Gentile and uncircumcised. We have to look in the heart we have to see what kind of people they are. Now, Paul is not really saying that the Gentile who... who tries to love his neighbor, is saved. He's not saying that. He's just saying, if we're going to compare a Jew and a Gentile, and here the Gentile is doing better things than the Jew, then if we're going to weigh their, their, uh, the attitudes of their hearts, the Gentile is going to come up ahead. So that outward conformity or outward attachment to the law of Moses by itself is no help if your heart does not go along with it. And that's the point that he's making. It's a, it's a very basic moral argument and you could say the same thing uh, about a christian and a non-christian if you have a christian and, and and just just to be provocative here let's suppose that we have a christian who truly does love jesus but is not a very good person for one reason or another and they don't treat one another right and and they're not they're not as devoted as they ought to be and then you have uh, an unbeliever who doesn't believe in jesus but is generally a very nice person to other people and does try to have a level of piety and seriousness in their religion, and tries to seek God, okay? Now, I'll tell you straight up, the Christian is saved, and the non-Christian is not. But this is not because of the quality of their behaviors. If we were to actually measure them in a scale, we would say, the Christian is not a very good person. Because, look, they don't love their neighbor, as Jesus commanded. They They don't do the kinds of things that Jesus would want them to do very well, We've already said that they love Jesus and that they're saved because of that, but, but then it's, it just if we just objectively look at them, we say they're not a very good person. And then here's another who is not within the kingdom of God, is not baptized, is not a child of God, and yet they're a pretty decent person. So if we were just to draw that distinction between people, we might say, well, the Christian is actually not as good a person as the non-Christian. But that is not a question of who's saved. The question of who saved comes different later, and Paul will get to that. But right now, he's making this point. If we judge people according to what's in their heart, we might find somewhat better people. We might find somewhat worse people. We might find people who are under the law of Moses. We might find people who are not under the law of Moses. We might find desperately wicked people, and we might find people that are actually pretty decent. But in the end, we are going to find all flawed people none of them are going to be what they really ought to be. And just the fact that one person is better than another doesn't mean that that one person is really very good. So what Paul is really making the point here is that these Jews have the word of God. He's not addressing what their relationship with God is. He is addressing as to whether they are actually, when you look at them and you look at their heart, are they actually better people or not? And Paul might say, well, in some ways they might be but they are not good. Neither the Jew nor the Gentile is good. That's the point that he's making, and he's going to hit that very hard in, the very next, uh, in tomorrow's reading. We're not talking about who's saved and who's not. We're talking about who's good and who's not. So we'll continue this discussion tomorrow.